Yes. Oh, that was awkward. Who's gonna? Well, so it's I, been fun. We'll see y'all next week. <laughs> I Happy Patreon Day. The Outlaw Josie Wales with my son Josiah. It's a good movie. It is a very good movie, and because my dad um, gave him a pistol oh and God. kept calling him Josie, so my 13 year old owns a gun. 12 year old. 12 year old. 12 year old owns nice. a gun. Nice. So he's ready for the Wild West. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. And uh, he had to know that Josie was a actually tough name. And yeah. So, yeah. I mean, That's I had fair. him at Clint Eastwood, but. That's cool. I, I can't get over. I can't get over your dad giving your son. A I gun. know it's a very never, Oklahoma gift. He's though. never given me a gun. <laughs> well, I, I hear they're softer towards the grandkids. Is anyway. that what the thing is? I don't understand. I mean, That's always what I because heard. you would have never been allowed to have that, and but you know they can spoil a grandkid and just not to deal with it. So. That's probably true. Yeah, to deal with the repercussions. Yeah, yeah. So you know. But hey, let's not talk about gunfire. Let's talk about a comedy instead. Uh, hello and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast. We got around the table. You'll just never huh? words. We we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course, and that includes Tommy Boy. Um, so I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. Still Dalton. And we're going to talk about this movie. Um, it's a thing that's going to happen. Um, we are going to let you know, though, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And that does mean we're going to spoil the end of Tommy Boy. Um, perhaps it'll all work out and he gets the girl. I don't know. Um, but we'll talk more about that later. It's a 90s comedy. What do you reckon will happen? Hmm. I think the thing you said, probably. Yeah, probably very. I don't even well. know if I need a synopsis. I think you pretty much just nailed it. Yeah. Mm, so, um, yeah, there's that. And also Rob Lowe. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bo Derek. Um, things happen. She in this is movie. a ten. Uh, she is wow. That that's a good joke. That's a joke that I had to like think. I was like, wait, is that Bo Derek? I didn't. Yeah. I, well, and then I looked it up. Yeah. That's a man. That's a good of, joke. It's a very of its time joke. It's, yeah, it is. It's a it's a well whatever it is. Um, and so we will be spoiling the film. We'll try to avoid it during our synopsis and our um, thumbs up thumbs down. We'll we'll try less during our expanding the syllabus, and then we won't care at all once it comes down to spoiler territory and we get down to business. And you'll have a kicky music cue to let you know that that's occurring. When I found out that Richard was really Tommy's dad, I was really thrown for a curve. I. Uh, didn't see it coming at all. I feel like they buried the lead on that turn. But, yeah, it's a plot uh, reveal you don't see coming. Yeah, I uh, I was impressed, really. So, hmm. there we go. That, Arthur. All right, well, let's go ahead and hear that synopsis, please, if you would, Mr. Arthur Gordon, oh, sir. Wow, you're catching me off guard here. Let me find it real quick. Well, that's quick. why I said a very lengthy introduction of who you are. Fat guy in a little coat. And revamping now. Hi. Fat guy in a little coat. You know, it's a thing. Thumbs that, on a little iPhone. You know, uh, it was a real life. Yeah. They bit. shared an office yeah. together. Yeah. That's funny. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Farley would do it to Spade while Spade was actually trying to write. <laughs> so it's life imitating art yeah. <laughs> in its finest forms. All right. Tommy Boy. After an extended period in college, Tommy, Tommy Boy Callahan finally graduates seven years in. He returns home to Sandusky, Ohio, and his father's auto parts empire. The Callahan name is synonymous with quality and has made the family a lot of money. But while Tommy was away, Sandusky's once flourishing manufacturing plants have slowly died out, and Callahan doesn't seem far behind if they can't get their new brake pads off and running. That's not the only big news in Tommy's absence. His father, Big Tom, has met someone, and Tommy is back just in time for the wedding. But during the reception, Big Tom passes out and passes away. With the family legacy at stake, Tommy volunteers to go across the Midwest to sell brake pads. He pulls Big Tom's right-hand man, Richard, along for the ride. The bad news, Tommy's not a good salesman and Richard can't stand him. <laughs> what are they going to do? Wow. Shenanigans uh, and Sue. With a tight deadline, a family legacy, and an entire city's financial future resting on his shoulders, Tommy must reach deep within and tap into what made his father such a good salesman. We've got stakes. We've got unlikely pairings. We've got a car that just keeps dying. It's a road. We've movie. got a lead cast from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. We've got a repeat of the um, old adage, do not swerve for deer. Um, it keeps coming up. It's a recurring deer theme. Yeah, beer, deer are bad. Beer deer. are bad. An unexpected connection between this and last week's episode. Uh, we have neglected to mention this. This is a uh, Patreon pick. I guess that's worth mentioning. It is? Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks, Brigham. Brigham, uh threw uh, this one on the table for us, and we were happy to oblige. And you can also do that if you head over to patreon.com forward slash GTM and see what we got there. We might send you a curated DVD. We might just shout you out on the show. Who knows? Go see what we can do for you. I really well, liked that sales pitch voice, Arthur. Thank you for that. Thanks. I, uh, I, I've I learned how to read people. Uh, <laughs> I was at a restaurant earlier, and they, the kitchen was closed. And I was like, you guys have any chicken wings? And they said, no. 
The oh. kitchen's closed. And I said, okay. And I had a water. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you knew how to read them. You knew yeah. to read that they were not going to give you those chicken wings. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew that you. that waitress was fed up with people's BS and uh, wasn't going to have any more. So just went about my happy way and didn't cause any problems for them. That's well, the real thing to do. Read the room and don't be a jerk. Damn, Arthur. Well, like the deer in the back seat of David Spade's car, the, our analysis is rotting. So let's move right on into uh, what we want to do and talk about our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews of Tommy Boy. So um, I, I'm assuming this is not a first time watch for any of us. Yes. Uh, actually, Arthur and I were talking about this uh, off air a couple of days ago. We're both not sure. I think we know I, we've both seen probably the whole movie in bits and pieces at least once. Yeah, I think I might have seen it once in full a long time ago. I mean, well over a decade ago. It would have been a long time ago. So familiar, but no, never yeah. perhaps having sat down through I get the whole experience. A lot of bits saying. confused between this and Black Sheep, since Black Sheep is the same plot, same. Um, but the same actors. Uh, this one, uh, so I get confused on which is which. Uh, so when I sat down to watch this. Uh, I was like, okay, this one's not happening here. It's in the other one. But, yeah. All right, there you go. Well, what do you say, um, then, Arthur? Do you like this movie? Why or why not? Honestly, uh, yeah, I, I like it quite a bit. I think it's very endearing. I think that uh, it has a lot of heart, uh, and it's all because of that Farley-Spade relationship. I mean, those are two guys who worked so well together, who loved each other, were so good friends, uh, and they brought that chemistry to the screen. And you could easily watch, you know, another 30 minutes of this, I think, and, and still get something out of it just because of their presence together. Uh, there are things in it that just feel like filler. There's a lot of sequences that feel like filler. Uh, when they're in the hotel room and, and, uh, fairly catch a spade, uh, peeping Tom, the girl in the bathing suit out in, or not in the bathing suit, uh, out in the uh, swimming pool at the hotel, it just feels like filler. It doesn't really do anything to advance the story or the characters at all. Uh, and you know, you can tell they just kind of work that stuff in to probably reach a 30, 90 minute time limit, but also to try to get some cheap laughs. Yeah. Well, that's uh, a comedy from the nineties. So we had to have some gratuitous side boob. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I, I think those things are in there and your mileage might vary, but I think overall uh, it leads to some very quotable moments, some great bits, the fat guy in the little coat thing. Um, it has this kind of odd tone. It's a lot more, for comedy, uh, plays everything a lot straighter than, say, like Wayne's World. I think it's got a lot of the same type of over-the-top stuff, especially with Rob Lowe's character. I mean, his shirt gets sucked up one of those uh, vacuum tubes at the uh, auto parts place. Why'd they do that? What? Take off Rob Lowe's shirt. I don't understand. I don't know. I'll tell you about it when you're older. <laughs> okay. But uh, it's got some cartoony bits, especially with his character. Like His character is like a Wile E. Coyote type. Buddy, I wrote the exact same thing. Like, it's uh, one of my favorite things about yeah. this movie. Uh, and I think it navigates some of that over-the-topness a little better than something like a Wayne's World does, where it's so on the surface. Um, and I kind of appreciate that about it. Overall, you know, it's not doing anything new. It's pulling from a lot of classical tropes and a lot of classical styles. Uh, but it's really one of the last pure instances of the comedy duo at work. Uh, there are a few since then, but it's it's not as common, I don't think, anymore. And I'll get into that a little later. But I I easily could watch this probably at any moment. I could throw this on just to just relax and watch a movie. And, I mean, Chris Farley is, is just on another level. Um, He's firing on all cylinders, I think, all of the time. And it's it's sad that he didn't get to do more because there are moments in this movie where he gets to lean into that dramatic a bit more where I, I wish I could have seen him do a, you know, the Robin Williams drama, the Jim Carrey drama to see yeah. Chris Farley tackle something he does pay with those. a lot of meat. Yeah, he does pay those real well. Yeah. And so I think to see the glimpses of what could have been um, in his, you know, the tragic character that he he was off screen. Um, I, I think for that alone, this is, you know, his legacy in a lot of ways. And I, I, I dig it quite a bit. I really do. Um, you know, I think it's achieving everything it's setting out to achieve as a script, as a movie. Um, I don't think it's trying to do anything off the wall or out of the ordinary. I think it is very, uh, streamlined in what it's trying to attempt. And I think it accomplishes that a lot of times and sticks the landing. So yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, Dalton? Do you like Tommy Boy? I think I'm a little cooler on it uh, than Arthur is. Um, those things that Arthur's mentioned, I, I do enjoy about it. I like that it does try to ground this in the real world to some extent. Um, it kind of makes the 
you, as you mentioned, Rob Lowe and the car are the only real subjects of absurdity in the mm-hmm. film. But I don't know. For for me, and again, I, I do have a, a little bit of nostalgia bug for Wayne's World, so that, you know, you take that into consideration. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think the wackiness and absurdity uh, that just kind of constantly permeates that film uh, really does it for me. Uh, and, and Tommy Boy, I, I don't know. I feel like I could use a little bit more of it because, as you've mentioned, everything is played so straight uh, that... It, I don't. I, I'm. I struggle to say it comes across as a comedy at times. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you know, I, that's just uh, my wheelhouse sort of thing. I really like that that weirdness. Um, it, it's funny though. I, I don't know that a lot of the jokes land here, which kind of bummed me out. The big laughs still land, I think. But all all the little filler laugh, as Arthur mentioned, any kind of digression that's just there to maybe. Uh, you know, fill pad runtime or just do a little filler. I don't feel like they land, uh, and, and and that's the 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 thing that I struggle with this movie because when it's good, it's very good. Uh, Chris Farley is so versatile in that he he plays uh, low status to every single other uh, character he's ever on screen with, uh, and yet never seems to lose balance uh in terms of he, he's so low status that the audience can never stop empathizing with him i, I think which I, I think is uh, a, a real asset to him as a performer and again spade uh, also is always playing low status to everyone else and i think that's the thing that's really interesting is they they as arthur mentioned they're kind of a classic duo in that laurel and hardy mold but they are both always uh, at odds with society and i, I think that the fact that Farley is low status and embraced and David Spade is low status and shunned really makes them an interesting pairing. Uh, you actually sent us an uh, article that I had found in my own Arthur uh, off-air. Uh, Meredith Borders mm-hmm. wrote this piece for uh, Birth Movies Death uh, a couple of years back. I'm just kind of talking about why this film works. Uh, and, and it's funny, I, I found myself kind of gravitating to a lot of the same things. Uh, and it really does come down to David Spade is so good at smarm like he's just so it's so pure in him um and the only person that can make him likable is chris farley somehow uh david spade is only in the right chastising people when he's chastising farley everybody else he chastises he's totally in the wrong and being an asshole uh and yet uh farley as tommy uh is very uh easy for him to endear himself to people it's it's an interesting pairing in that regard uh, and I think the two of them are the only reason this movie works because, mm-hmm. like I said, I, there's just not a lot of jokes, honestly. I, I, Dustin's got his old three laugh rule. Uh, I don't really have that, but I did notice I didn't laugh nearly as much as I expected to. Uh, I just kind of was like, "Well, this is fine. This is this is here." Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty cold on it. It's fine. It's very watchable. And as Arthur mentioned, there the the legacy of Farley is undeniable. Again, I think he is magnetic on screen the little soft shoe that him and uh big tom do it's great yeah it's a showstopper i love it to pieces i think it's a hoot uh rob lowe as wiley coyote is great um (laughs) we we already talked about the deer the smash cut to the deer motel like right after that also great like there's a lot of there's a lot of editing jokes in here that are so so funny um but the actual writing not so much and i I think that hurts it because there is a a craft of building on-screen comedy here but for me, yeah, the the jokes themselves kind of fall flat. And as Arthur mentioned, the stories, yeah, he's got to save his hometown from yeah, capitalism. Yeah, I've, I've seen this movie before, so it is what it is. By using capitalism, um, well, I mean that's the story, right? Well, we'll get that's into America. more of that later. Yeah, um, I'm sure we will. But it's grassroots capitalism, Dustin. Okay. Yeah, Tommy still makes oh, a whole lot more populist? than his factory employees. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. I- I grew up watching this movie. Um, it's super quotable. I mean, every line in it uh, is a line that I know and something that I find to be. And I, I, I laugh a lot when I watch this movie. It is a mess. You know why? Because Saturday Night Live is a sketch comedy show. And uh, let's put sketch comedy in an hour and a half, mm-hmm. you know, two hours. Let's just get that done. And so it's just going to be these bits and pieces that are barely hung together. And it feels exactly like that. I mean, the, the bits and pieces themselves, I mean, they're funny. You know, when um, Rob Lowe accidentally unsheaths or unchains the dog that was going to eat him a minute ago that's funny um i laugh at that kind of stuff you know when the deer comes back to life i laugh at that kind of stuff uh the i'm not going to change a station if you don't change a station it's a very good joke i mean that one's one of my favorites all those little bits are, are very very funny you know who's your favorite little rascal i mean all that stuff is 
<laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, there, there is that. But it's nothing. The movie is a big, it's a soap bubble, um, is what it feels like to me. And it's it's there and gone. This is a precursor to all those Sandler working with his best friends movies. That I was, hit, yeah. that man. Late yeah. 2000s. Mm. Grown Ups and anything he did with Kevin James. Well, and, and I kept finding myself watching this wondering, would I feel this way about a Billy Madison, a Happy Gilmore? I haven't gone back and rewatched those in probably 10 years, maybe a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit less. But I feel like those, the last time I watched them, I feel like uh, a lot of that early Sandler stuff holds up really well. I don't know if I'd change my mind. I, I, I expected Tommy Boy to hold up at least as well as the last time I watched Billy Madison, and it didn't fucking come close. Right. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's going to be common of all of these 90s movies, but you're right, Dustin. There's just not... It's not. It's a, a soap bubble. I like that. Well, uh, this movie. I mean, another conspir- comparison maybe would be you know those ad- enormous three foot long pixie sticks. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like you enjoy your time while you're consuming said picky- pixie stick. Yeah. Uh-huh. Afterward, you kind of wish you hadn't done it. You know, it's like maybe maybe not a great idea. Maybe not a good choice. Maybe not good for me. But you know, it's fun while you do it. Yeah, and I, that's Tommy Boy. In the 90 minutes I spent watching Tommy Boy, I could have watched 90 minutes of uh, Neon Genesis, which I still haven't finished since it hit Netflix. So, y- yeah, I feel you. So, I you, mean... You want to make different content choices when you get done with it. Dalton's voluntarily watching an anime? Yeah, look, well, when, look, it's one of the big ones, right? I, guys, I've kind of gotten into anime since the show. Conformist. Uh, well, look... You guys made me do two full months of anime, and it turns out there's some pretty good anime out there, so... I don't know if I'm a conformist so much as I am willing to admit when I'm wrong. I want Darren Aronofsky to make a movie, Neon Genesis, about the book of Genesis. That's what I want. That's Isn't what that I mean. Noah? I mean, yeah, but like Noah, much more sci-fi, the whole book. Yeah, okay. Just I, from the I, beginning. Just from the beginning, yeah. So Prometheus and Noah is like a tandem movie. Yes, with, with um, you know, Harrison Ford as Decker. Um, I think I've had great. a fever dream that's basically this movie before. We'll talk <laughs> off mic. <laughs> See, this is how little there is to Tommy Boy. We're talking about movies that don't exist. Exactly. And, and again, there's nothing, like, bad with this movie. Well, okay. There's some gross gay stuff with this there movie. There is some. But, I mean, there's nothing, like, really, like, fundamentally flawed about it. It's just... It doesn't hold up as well as you think it's mm-hmm. going to. And it doesn't carry a lot of freight. Yeah. Yeah, it really just doesn't. So, Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts uh, about Tommy Boy coming in. Let's go ahead and expand that there syllabus. So you're teaching a class, and you've put Tommy Boy, with all the other movies in the world, you've put Tommy Boy on the syllabus. Well, look, that's the conceit of this uh, podcast, so that's what we're doing. Uh, yeah, this was your idea. Pops, all those years ago. Yeah, okay, so what are you going to add to Tommy Boy to make this substantial? I ask you first, Dalton, go. Uh, I've decided we're going to do a unit on road movies. Uh, We've kind of been beating around the bush about road movies a lot the last couple of weeks, especially with Thelma and Louise and uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, and we resisted doing, uh, I don't think any of us did just road movies for either of those when we uh, we did it. I don't believe so. No, I don't think so. I think we all kind of went different directions, but three weeks in a row now we've had a road movie. Well, we did Small Soldiers last week. Oh, shit, that's right. Look, they all bleed together. Three out of four. Three out of four. Road movies. I say, now's a good time. Let's talk about road movies. Are we going to do road comedies? I thought about it. No, I don't want to. They're all the same plot. Somebody's got to get somewhere within X amount of time or go to X amount. Yeah, they're all the same movie. It's It's funny how genre works. It's... But that's the thing. Even the action movies and the thrillers and the romances, they're all the same movie. All road movies are the same movie, and that's kind of... Just a weird the thing. The stakes change. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's just it's modulation of tone and stakes, but it is almost always pretty much the same plot. Uh, and I kind of like that. So that's that's what we're going to go, is we're just going to look at road movies, how they morph and mutate uh, and exist in different permutations of each other. And we are going to start off with uh, the first road movie I thought of uh, while watching this, and it's weirdly Repo Man, uh, the 1984... <laughs> I want to say. Roughly, yeah. Yeah, and I, with the, the Alex Cross, I think, is the director's name. Uh, it's not important. Uh, what's important is Repo Man is an incredible film and weirdly kind of has a similar washed-out, rust-belt town visual aesthetic that Tommy Boy has, and it was the, the first thing I thought of. Uh, Arthur and I are both big fans of this movie. If you haven't seen it, it's basically Harry Dean Stanton and Emilio Estevez hanging out. Uh, Alex Cox is the writer-director of that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is kind of seminal in, in sort of uh, uh, the punk aesthetic infiltrating cinema a little bit in, in terms of how it keeps being talked about in the, the larger canon of film. But I think as a road movie, it's really interesting because it's like Tommy Boy. 
it's not really about going on a long journey. It's about a lot of short, miniature journeys to go to work. It's what kind of, what is work like when you and your work partner are stuck in a car and have to interact with each other all the time? Uh, and again, Repo Man, uh, as Arthur has mentioned, not a lot of weirdness in Tommy Boy. There's pretty much only weirdness in Repo Man. Excellent. So I think that vast opposite end, ends of the surreality spectrum is going to be a, just a really fun point-counterpoint uh, way to take it. And again, aesthetically, there is kind of a similar uh, cheap cheapness to, to the, the stock of the film um, that I think only helps both movies. Uh, next up, we, we are going to go to uh, directly into the family drama road movie. This one's a very recent one, but uh, one I like a whole lot. Uh, and it's Midnight Run, starring uh, Michael Shannon, uh, the film that came out uh, from, oh, man. Midnight Special? Yeah, I said Midnight Run, didn't I? Yeah. Yep, I did. I haven't seen Midnight Jeff Run. Jeff Nichols. I've heard it's good. Thank you. Jeff Nichols is the director of that one. Uh, Michael Shannon, Joel Edgerton. Uh, really, really like that movie. Uh, and again, totally different stakes. And I, the thing that I think works really well about this one is it's a road movie where you start uh, the journey already in progress. Uh, and uh, I can't think of too many road movies that have that going for them. We are almost always starting with our characters prior to their, their journey on the road. Uh, and I think a Midnight Special just like, we're there. It's not important. You'll figure out later why we're on the run or why we're on the road. And uh, that, that information will be revealed to you. And I, I think that film... Uh, really kind of makes the the family themes that are in Tommy Boy a little bit more concrete. Uh, at one point, I had Due Date on this list, the Zach Galifianakis, uh, Robert Downey Jr. vehicle that came out right after uh, The Hangover and Iron Man turned them both into huge stars. It was a weird time, 2010. Uh, but, uh, again, I left that off of here, but I think it, it helps us recontextualize that family often seems to be at the root of a lot of road movies, whether uh, it's dealing with, you know, the baggage uh, a family gave one character and how they relate to another character that way. Sometimes you're on the road with a family member. Often you're on the road to get to a family member. And uh, in Midnight Special, we have both of those things. Uh, we are on the run with family and trying to get to more family. Uh, if you haven't seen Midnight Special, I'll go ahead and not talk a lot about plot stuff here because it's really good and the plot's kind of weird and fun and twisty and windy and it's good to uh, get to enjoy that one as it's unfolding. But again, I think uh, it's just so, so different from Tommy Boy and yet is still about family. Like, what are the things that drive us and motivate us and allow us to keep going when we think there's no chance of success? Uh, in Tommy Boy, it is trying to keep uh, the dream of your parents alive. Uh, in Midnight Special, it's about trying to keep your child's optimism about the future alive sometimes. So uh, again, very different, but very much both in the uh, large lexicon of the road movie. Uh, next up, I think I've mentioned this one on the show before, but I, I just like singing its praises, so I'm going to bring up The Long Dumb Road uh, with Jason Manzoukas and Tony Rivolori. Uh That movie is maybe my favorite road movie uh, of the last, I want to say, decade? And I'm not scared to, honestly. I think it's that good because it, it understands the genre of the road movie so well and allows it to kind of play in... The danger that is just on the periphery of road movies that kind of never gets alluded to, or at the very least is alluded to uh, only with jokes. And I think The Long Dumb Road allows uh, these two characters to exist in a world that is very real uh, and has very real stakes. Uh, but again, the jokes are there because Manzoukas is so funny in this film, and Tony Rivolori, like does such a good job matching him and trying you can see his his performance trying to uh, go from this kid that he was when he started the road trip to kind of be a little bit more like this weird loner that he's met um it's it's very great and again uh hannah fidel who uh wrote and directed this film uh, there's just again a, a mastery of the road movie on display here it's a film that knows the tropes knows that all road movies are the same and kind of finds a way to be a perfect er example of a road comedy and yet be something very different, because visually it looks like a drama, uh, and I, I think that's one of my favorite things about it, is it just kind of captures the visual splendor of a road movie. They're they're going west. I mean, it's a lot of the same locations we got to see in Thelma and Louise, so it just, you know, look, the desert looks cool on film. It just does. It's You don't have to go deal with how hot it is, and you just get to look at the cool rock sculptures uh, that nature made. And again, it's just beautiful photography and a lot of silly, wacky jokes. 
Uh, and I like any film that posits that you can be funny and visually interesting. Uh, so again, a, a little bit of a, a smorgasbord sampling uh, of road movies and their, their different flavors and varieties. Because again, it is a genre that is super versatile and exists among and without and within a lot of different genres. So I, I think taking that path is going to be really fun. So Tommy Boy and the Road Movie is the class. That is the syllabus. Hopefully something interesting happens. Fun times, fun times. Well, what do you say, Arthur? How would you expand this particular syllabus with Tommy Boy as the primary entry? Well, I was thinking about this movie and I was thinking about kind of it, it's hitting on those, you know, the uh, the the downfall of the manufacturing system in the, the Midwest and kind of the northern expansion of that. The third act of this film takes place in Detroit. Yeah. And so I think I would go with a dark side of Detroit marathon. Nice. Um, oh, yeah, because these are all this. films where manufacturing is kind of a big deal. Yeah, uh, and I think not just that, but just speaking to um, the fall of the great empire that was uh, Detroit at one time, um, I think that we uh, we see stuff like uh, RoboCop is, is one of those examples I mm. think of, you know, that, that's taking place kind of at the peak of where Detroit is, you know, it's before it's really fallen to the, the state that we understand Detroit to be in now as far as a manufacturing city. Um, but it's a movie that bucks up against that type of capitalism and puts it on full display to kind of parody it and, and rip it apart. And, and I think RoboCop is where I would start this. And then I'd move into the early 90s and I'd go with James O'Barr and The Crow. I, mm -hmm. I would look at those those pieces Ooh. as well, which is kind of set against this kind of gritty underbelly of Detroit. And I think looking at some of the ghosts in that city and, and what it's going to become um, for its community and its residents. And then yeah, we would fast forward to uh, the modern age and go with It Follows. Um, which kind of speaks to the new generation of people and youth there uh, in Detroit in that area, and then go on along to uh, 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 Ryan Gosling's uh, Lost River, um, his fairy tale into the underbelly of the city and looking at the, the darkness there, and then cap it all off with uh, Don't Breathe, the, the nice. little horror film uh, that takes place there. And uh, I think it's interesting to see all this work coming out of Detroit and to see how that has impacted uh, the look of movies in that area, but also the themes that are coming out of that area as well. Um, and I think it's just fascinating. I think you see hints of that in Tommy Boy when they're talking about the the downfall of uh, the economic you know, you know landscape and, and how at that point Detroit is still the place to go uh, in that area. Yeah, it's it's weird. You're, you're you're right, Arthur. It's it's interesting that this lack of industry in Detroit has opened up the film industry there over the last ten years and. It's interesting to see filmmakers who end up shooting in Detroit go ahead and allow that that urban decay to be a huge theme of theirs. Uh, but I think what's even more interesting in that what you've picked up on is yeah, there's a lot of man. The '80s and '90s kind of did see the writing on the wall for Detroit. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know those people yeah. who just uh, saw Detroit bounce back from the '70s uh, and you know uh, didn't think that everything was going to be okay because. I, you know, I, I don't feel like that was a lot of the conversation around Detroit in the '80s and '90s was this is about to go sideways. I think everybody thought the auto industry was going to be fine. Um, so yeah, it's, this is really good picks, Arthur. I, 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 you don't think about the eighties and nineties when you think about Detroit, uh, being a, a crusty city, but as you've mentioned, there's, we got plenty of those. Yeah. So those, that would be my syllabi entry. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. I am definitely going hard into the game. So this is the movie. This is it. We are going to look at Tommy Boy and Chris Farley. Whoa, that, okay. That is the thing. And so um, his brother, Tom Farley Jr., uh, along with a ghostwriter, uh, worked on a book called The Chris Farley Show, which is, uh, I own it. It's a, a little uh, biography of uh, Farley's life, uh, composed com almost completely of interview, little quotes and blibs uh, from uh, various people in his life, uh, girlfriends and friends, and also co-workers on SNL. And so I would use that. And then Larry Mays, um, Screening Out the Past, uh, the his uh, great study on star personas and how they are constructed and they are part of the PR campaign of a particular thing and how that the uh, sort of specifics of a person's life are sort of hidden and held back. I mean, we were aware. I mean, I got Entertainment Weekly 
yeah. in the 90s. And uh, so, I mean, there were reports in there that, you know, Farley and his, his drug and alcohol addiction had kind of gotten out of hand and people were concerned about him. But it looked like he was doing better. And then all of a sudden he died. And uh, so just, you know, looking at that sort of Hollywood story of what's going on with that, maybe we could look a little bit at Kenneth Anger's little um, Kiss and Tell Hollywood Babylon book a little bit, too. I'm um, just talking about some of those um, stories that no one likes to tell about what goes on at Hollywood. Um, but, yeah, that would be the sort of approach that I would take is just, OK, so let's just let's analyze this particular star persona. Let's talk about the arc of this particular career and uh, how that is pitched uh, in Saturday Night Live and then later how that's pitched into a film career. Which goes on to like Beverly Hills Ninja and some other interesting uh, entries uh, as well. But the sort of breakout moment is, of course, Tommy Boy itself. So that would be my approach uh, to this particular class. And so, yeah, I'm going hard in the paint for you, Brigham. And uh, going to be saying we're going to do a Tommy Boy, uh, Chris Farley only uh, little syllabus for you there. You know, thinking about uh, Farley and like his career and, you know, obviously it being ending pretty pretty early on. Uh, it makes me think of another SNL alum, or not even an uh, SNL alum, just another uh, uh, large in stature comedian, uh, Melissa McCarthy, uh, and, and uh, you know somebody who's very funny, very talented, and just much like Farley is often having to go to the well on the physical comedy because they execute it so well. But then you look at the last year for Melissa McCarthy, and she did. Uh, Can you ever forgive me? And man, I want to see that. As Arthur already mentioned, yeah. Can you imagine what uh, uh, Chris Farley's "Can You Ever Forgive Me" uh, would have been? Would have been uh, yeah. Would it have been a? Uh, do you think it'd been a Fatty Arbuckle biopic? What do you think it would have been? Ooh, nice call. Thanks, Jackie Gleason. You know oh I mean? man, yeah, yeah. I, don't even, I mean, it'd be John Belushi, right? I was going to say that's the one. I mean, that's right? his idol, right? I mean, that's wow. he lived and died, Belushi, mm, right? Maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, the to story. the T, right? Yeah. I mean. And there's a lot of that in the Chris Farley show book, yeah. Yeah, his, I his mean, imitation of Belushi was what, yeah. Mm. I mean, interesting. I think. Well, I, I, I mean, I guess you could. I mean, you could make it, but I don't know if he looks enough like Belushi to to really. He's a different type of comedian, I think, as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. to an extent. Belushi's a uh, scarier, edgier. Yeah, he's uh, Farley's much more uh, inherently likable. Yeah, uh, but uh, there's any number of people he could do or. I, I think he has it in him, or had it in him, right? Yeah. I mean, I want that Fatty Arbuckle movie. Is what I want. There's, man, there was somebody attached to a Fatty Arbuckle biopic for a while that I was like, oh, huh, okay, but that makes sense. But I can't remember who it was or if that, that ever got off the ground. No. Um, but this seems like a good place to uh, go ahead and do what we came here to do, right? Yeah, let's get down to business. Well, uh, while we're talking about this, I, I actually wrote this down, so let's uh, stay on this topic. I think the idea of uh, the gone too soon performance is really interesting, right? Because mm. it it just affects how you talk about a film. Mm-hmm. You can't talk about The Dark Knight without talking about Heath Ledger's uh, passing. Yeah. You can't talk about any Chris Farley movie without talking about his passing. Uh, I think Phil The Sing- Crow, Brandon Lee. Crow, oh, Brandon Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially. When it, especially that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, and especially uh, Dark Knight and Heath Ledger. Anytime like the death is tied to like one production. job or one production. Yeah. yeah. But with Farley or even like a Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's, it's the whole career. It becomes the body of work, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think that's the case also for um, Brantley's a bad example just because he only did like four movies. Uh, I think if that uh, that sounds about right. But uh, Ledger's kind of similar now that we've gotten a little bit further out from that tragedy. You look at his whole career and go, "What an interesting body of work in such a small time." And it's just interesting how how early deaths of especially screen artists kind of impact the conversation around their work. Mm-hmm. It, it turns one kind of movie into a totally different kind of movie. Yeah, you can't watch it without that sort of ghost haunting you're watching. I think that's totally true. And I wonder how much do you think it sways, especially I think back to Ledger. Mm. How much does that sway an opinion on a piece? I mean, it's a big part of why he got that uh, Best Actor Oscar, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because, I mean, there is an argument to be made that Nicholson's Joker's better. I think that argument's incorrect, but that's neither here nor there. But, I mean, it's different. different. It's for sure different. It's different. different. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's different is for sure, but I think Ledger's a little bit more nuanced, has a little bit more levels. Well, I I don't know. There's there's a certain perviness to Nicholson that... Yeah, Nicholson's just that's just, just Nicholson. It's just Jack. Just I mean, Jack. that's playing Jack exactly. And that's what it down to. That's the argument I mean, for Jack Nicholson always, though, isn't it? Oh yeah. Well, that's why he's a good movie his, star. I was gonna say his best characters are just him cranked to eleven. Bingo. A different modulations of like the same kind of yeah. personality. Shining, facets. easy writer. I mean, yeah, yeah. He ledger performance, man. That's a different performance. I mean, every time, it, it's maybe. very good. Yeah. But uh, and again, Farley's kind of the same way, though. Farley's only ever doing Farley. Yeah. Uh, he's doing modulations on Farley. I think even in some of his weirder, more esoteric SNL characters, it, it's still of a piece. 
Yeah. Um, although you get you, he's got some weird ones in there. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's always that. I mean, it comes down to that bit. You know, fat guy in a little coat. How yeah. far can we take this? The big guy doing silly things, the kung fu or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Him dancing as a Chippendale dancer with yeah. uh, uh, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. yeah. My name is Matt Foley, and I live in a van down, down, down by, by the, the river. river. Yeah. Yeah. Which that that is that just little, a sketch of fat yeah. guy in a and little I'm coat. A yeah. Motivational speaker. But yeah. That's fat guy in a little coat is yeah. just that sketch. Yeah. You let Farley go. You let him be loud. You let him hurt himself if he wants to. You let him break shit. And that's again, especially with Farley though. Now that we're we're talking about the things that are so charming about him, it just makes it sad. Honestly, it's kind of hard to watch for me a little yeah. bit because it it only reads as sad sometimes. Yeah, and I think did you have you seen? I think it's in his special, the Adam Sandler tribute. That he does for Farley. I'm aware of it, but no, I haven't yeah, watched it. His musical tribute. He did it on Saturday Night Live when he hosted. Yeah, it's, I heard yeah, about it's, it. It's really interesting to see it. To, you know, Sandler is so close, obviously, but yeah. to see him kind of delving into some of those issues, it's it's interesting. I think it's a good capper for you know, talking about Farley. But I mean, I feel like you could do uh, a capper. On, you could just talk about that class of SNL. Oh, I mean, that, sure. that alone could be a, a film studies class mm-hmm. because it is such an interesting uh, gang of uh, people with a, a myriad talent levels and yeah. drive levels and ego levels and tragedy levels. And I just, ooh, that was that was a, a, a run of cast members that all are kind of represent the same very similar uh, 90s leading man, leading white guy qualities, I would say. Yeah. Uh, just very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. Okay, you've already mentioned this, and so let's go ahead and let's let's take out the little fish, I guess, before we do the big fish instead of um, the biggie like we normally do. Um, So a couple of uh, jokes are a bit homophobic. Um, Let's talk about it i guess um just name it i for more yeah. than any other reason there's nothing there's nothing there it's the it's the very 90s homophobe doesn't right? say it was just common parlance for yeah the movies. nobody thought about it and it's dumb and shitty and gross but there's not and that's i think almost makes it slightly more frustrating i kind of wish there was something there there uh especially because this is a film about male friendship yeah. uh you know i wish we had something to say about the posturing that takes place in male friendships and we do a little bit right mm-hmm. with that radio uh and i think the 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 homophobic jokes that are in here kind of tie back into that same like uh fear of being perceived as anything other than uh uber masculine uh which is why when the slow jam comes on they're both like mm, do, no i'm fine uh, you, you change, you if, change you if you want i don't care yeah. this is fine whatever i don't have any opinions about this and of course they they both want to sing that song as loud as they've been singing the other songs. Come yeah. on, man! And th- it all comes from the same place, right? Yeah. So I don't know if there's any there there other than that. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Just please I, don't do it now. Please don't do it. And uh, you know, it was weird that it was okay. You know, and it was just you know assumed that this is fine and we just move on. You know, which is which is weird, man. Yeah, the one gay character in the film is uh, assumed to be in the closet and only comes out by accident because they're drunk at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know that, and that's just kind of a bummer. It plays well. Uh, I love that actor. He shows up in very similar roles in a lot of uh, uh, '90s films with SNL uh, alum. I can't think of that actor's name. No, I don't know. He's, he's very much of that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's he, he. He sells the joke, but it's kind of a tragic joke, and it doesn't sit super great alongside the other jokes that are in the film. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think all the, I mean, the misogynistic jokes kind of slide in right next to that. Yeah, um, I, I will say. I'm a big, big fan of uh, Julie Warner in this film, uh, who mm-hmm. plays um, Michelle? Michelle. Michelle. She's great. What a great character. Yeah, she is. Her yelling at the kids. That's great. Uh, immediate, like, classic I know moment. where you live, and I've seen where you sleep. One it's of the funniest. So funny. she, she is one of the best laughs of the movie, hands down. Yeah. Uh, so I, I will say that this film, like, I, does a decent service by its one female character. The other characters of the female characters a villain with nothing really to her. That whole subplot just doesn't go anywhere. I mean... <sighs> They're not a big enough foil to the. I mean, the, the the narrative is all about can Tommy make it or not. I mean, and then they kind of force a lot of stuff in that third act. I think just but to stretch it. They back. exist like totally separate from the narrative after the first yeah. act. It's just about Rob Lowe's Wiley e. Coyote hijinks. Well, let, we don't which really are understand funny. their motivations fully. Until, yeah, they're just. I mean, they're they're grifters. together. Yeah, yeah. And it's fair to point out that since Big Tommy dies during the wedding. Yeah. Right. 
Um, I know for a fact at that point in the wedding, the marriage license had not, not been yet signed. been signed. Um, case in point to my left. <laughs> Hi. Um, <laughs> Dustin did my wedding and, uh, he really had a hard time getting, getting me uh, to sign it. And I, I wasn't really that I didn't want to sign it. He just, was herding know. cats trying it's, to get Dalton. And, but I mean, that's, I mean, so. Trying to party, baby. Again, you know, you die the day of a wedding, that kind of thing. Legal status. I mean, really, if you start thinking too hard about any of this stuff, none of it works. Yeah. I and mean, that's yeah. the yeah. case for yeah. many a film. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, there's no chance. It's because Big Tom can't sign every day. So, that's just the end of that. Yeah. So, good thing you didn't die, and I finally chased you down. Surprisingly, at Weekend at Tommy's. Oh, I also don't have an auto parts empire. It's weekend at Tommy's. It's Weekend at Tommy's, but Rob Lowe's trying to keep it Big Tom alive oh for a weekend. God. Yeah, I would watch that. <laughs> Holy <laughs> so shit. So good. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I know that we've gotten uh, those those little things that we don't have a lot to say out okay, of the way. Okay, well, the fat shamey thing. Let's just talk about that. Yeah, let's you know, get another I mean, one out of here. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that's Farley's career, right? I mean, that's the joke ninety percent of the time. Is it okay when you're the fat guy? And I don't think it is. I mean, that's that's what's troubling about it is that it sort of encourages more of that. And those kids yelling off the beach, it makes more of that happen. Well, right? this is why Hannah Gadsby's Nanette was like the, the the comedy special of the year last year, right? Because it is a comedy special that is all about when you are a uh, a person that has an outsider status. Is your self-deprecation just like self-flagellation for the masses at a certain point? Yeah. Right? Uh, and again, Farley being a straight white dude uh, has a lot more social clout than Hannah Gadsby as a, as a lesbian. But the, the being a bigger person is still uh, – that is something in society that people have opinions about that are none of their fucking business. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it's a different – I see why you bring the question up, I guess, Dustin. And I, I think part of the psychology there is, you know, he knows people are going to make the joke anyway. Yeah. You beat him to the punch and make those jokes. And I think once he realized that was his bread and butter, you just ran with it, whether it was for the best or not. But, well, I think some well, the t- Chippendales piece, right? I mean, that that's what well, yeah. got him uh, got him famous, basically. Yeah. But I think the strength of Farley doing that a lot of the times, uh, th- there is, uh, again, we talked about him playing low status to everyone, and yet there is an unflappability to, to him that... Any character he's ever playing never knows that he's low status. Uh, even to- when Tommy knows he's out of his depth or he's embarrassed himself a little bit, he he just there's an unflappability to Farley's performances where you know that that character eh, he's fine. Yeah, he's gonna be okay. Which again makes the tragedy of Farley not being okay a lot harder to stomach yeah. when so much of the jokes are. Well, that's just who he is. Well, yeah, yeah who he is is an addict who didn't get clean and died. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that. It just changes every bit of conversation around any any joke where it's like, oh, I'm sure Farley didn't mind making fun of the fact that he was he was a fat dude. That's fine. Well, was it fine? People yeah. who are fine aren't, you know, uh, that's not that's not the right way to phrase that. But if he there's not some hurt in Chris Farley's life, then the addiction issues are you know going to be different issues, right? So right. it's again now we're armchair armchair psychologizing a person we never knew, but. Well, the, the, I mean, I think there's a way in which when you're always making that joke, you're always drawing attention to it. That does sort of indicate a certain awareness and uh, insecurity and sensitivity about the issue. I mean, it, it's quite another thing for, you know, anybody who's got, you know, something that people make fun of, you know, as part of their, you know, um, identify, identifiable markers as a person. And then, you know, go about life and then every once in a while say, well, yeah, you know, I'm not going to go away from a cake. You know, have you know, th- you know, something like that. You know, you make that joke once is really funny. But and I think that's fine. But it's make it five it, times a day. It's a repetition. Yeah, yeah. That, that's as troubling. And I and again, I think it gives that weird. It's the same sort of conversation about using the N word or about those kind of things. Where well, he does it all the time. He jokes all the time. He's fine with it. So because of that, there's a weird way in which it gives permission to continue to yeah. do some pretty denigrating kind of things. And you know, I just find that a little troubling. Yeah, uh, and again, it's not a conversation. As Arthur mentioned, that's just who Farley was. That was his persona. And as with a lot of the things we're talking about this episode, these were not conversations people were having in the early 90s. Uh, Mm -hmm. Probably should have been. Yeah. But definitely not things that were happening. So, uh, look, now I'm just thinking about the Goonies. There's just a child in that movie that's famous for shaking his fat rolls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, I was a chubby eight-year-old. I would not have felt good doing that. That made me feel real weird about my body. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, sure, Chris Farley was a a big man his whole life and, you know, found his ways to cope with that and navigate it, but as, and as Arthur's right, I mean, that's definitely where it came from. I know people are going to make a joke first, so I have to make a better joke before they can. Yeah. And I think his, his 
powerful charisma levels, which are very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, my man's rolling nat 20s all day. Uh, it just, but the, there's, again, there's the sadness to the actual story that makes, that just puts everything else in, uh, under a questionable light. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So um, the other big thing is, I mean, Tommy's incompetence, but he's there because he is the heir apparent and, um, you know, his ability to sell, sell, you know, it, it, it does. I mean, you're watching this in 2019. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's always parallels been a, can be drawn. There's a fetishization of the family business in our society and uh, not going to name any names, but I've worked for a family business before uh, a, a very large, very financially successful one, similar to Callahan Auto Parts. And nepotism runs rampant in an organization like yeah, that, which yeah, is not yeah. saying that a publicly traded uh, private company is any better. Uh, probably the exact same shit, honestly. Mm-hmm. But uh, that sort of stuff is rampant in a very financially successful family-owned business. Nepotism will run rampant. Well, and, and the way in which... It... As Dustin said, we are uh, having plenty of conversations about uh, nepotism in 2019 for obvious reasons. Yes, and the way in which uh, the sort of populism of a character like Tommy, because you like Tommy, you don't like Richard. Richard knows the business. Richard knows how the brakes work. Tommy doesn't know any of that stuff, but everybody likes Tommy, and he's a salt of the earth, and he's one of them, and, you know, he... No, Richard's one of them. Uh, Yes. Richard's one of them. Richard came up on his own. Richard had no money growing up. Richard had to be smarter than everybody else in every room he was in because he had nothing. And that is the ultimate uh, evil irony of this sort of narrative, right? Is uh, the, the anti-intellectualism will always win because the dum-dum seems like, ah, that is that is our people. Well, no, sometimes the smarty pants is the guy that actually has a lot more in common with you. Yeah, but it does look a lot like that sort of uh, working class uh, populism that we are discussing a lot right now. Yeah, what, we talked about this on a movie uh, discussion recently uh, on this podcast, I feel like. Mm, perhaps. About this conversation of the, the overlap between like kind of anti-intellectualism and populism yes. and uh, smart people who are also poor people yeah. uh, and how they get shunned. Uh, sometimes in these conversations. I feel like I'm having conversation deja vu. Maybe it was just a conversation we had off mic. Who can be sure? I don't know. I don't know. We talk a lot. That's true. But yeah, the, the the thing is is that he's an absolute moron, and mm-hmm. he's absolutely going to wreck everything. I mean, the future of Callahan, now that he is at the helm, is presented as a sort of rosy kind of thing, but I'm like, this is the guy who's going to be like, well, I like that guy. I trust that guy, and make a deal, and it's going to sink everything. Right. Um, well, gonna... and the implication is hopefully Richard uh, will stay by his right hand, and yeah. the two of them will make you know uh, Richard's good ideas will be made likable by Tommy, and Tommy's uh, stupidity will be measured by Richard's uh, very smart businessing. So, to quote the West Wing a little bit, so we're going to do this plain spoken, simple man kind of thing, but we'll keep Jews around to do the math stuff. Whoa, is that a line from the West Wing? Yeah. Good Lord, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow, did a Jewish character say it at least? Uh, to- Tommy, to- Toby Ziegler did. To- Ziegler did, that makes sense. That sounds yeah. like a Ziegler line. But yeah. also, woo, Aaron Sorkin, that's, you are... That's spicy. That's whew, That is thin ice, you waspy motherfucker. Yeah, it really is. Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> I am... See, do you know about the West Wing thing? It's a podcast uh, that... Uh, the West Wing Weekly? No, it's called the West Wing thing. Oh no! Uh, it's uh, Dave Anthony who uh, hosts the Dollop, or is one of the hosts of the Dollop. It's him and an, uh, another comic. I can't remember who, but basically they just talk about uh, the uh, optimistic hellhole that uh, the West Wing created for Democrats and how it's ruined uh, liberal policies and American democracy. Correct. Yeah, you should watch it I th- or listen to it. I think well, it's Bartlett's right basically Clinton anyway. I mean, but this, you know, you brought up the West Wing, and it's worth mentioning because this is still the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same shit, man. Right. It is the same pandery nonsense that has gotten us where we are today, uh, thinking that and it's this kind of stuff we talked about on Small Soldiers, right, when we talked about marketing a hit. Yeah. It's how do you speak to the common man, the common lowest denominator? It's a bunch of friggin' uh, rich people uh, who don't know anything about middle America trying to figure out what middle America wants to go to the movies to see. Mm-hmm. It's dumb. It's very dumb. Too many people from Pasadena figuring out what Michigan wants to go see at the movies. Yeah, and that's not a good call. I used to be in Pasadena a lot. Um, yeah, no, you did. <laughs> so those people don't know. Well, you know, I mean, Pasadena is a lovely place. No, I'm not like throwing shade or anything. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, a, it's the coasts are good. That's why people go live there. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. I'm just saying uh, it, it's the same sort of 
human beings trying to politic other human beings' brains, thinking that, that any of us are so different from any other one of us. Uh, and I think that that is kind of what is joyous about Tommy Boy, right? This is the same thing that we're talking about. The fact that Richard and Tommy need each other they, they don't just are they don't just like click as friends they click as a unit as, mm-hmm. as a unit as, as a, a symbiotic dyna- relationship. yeah they are a yeah. duo he completes him they complete each other yeah. absolutely um and again this kind of keeps us on track nicely uh but the fact that uh those two who think they have nothing in common end up being the best of friends because uh, again this is really just a movie about david spade and chris farley loving each other um i think speaks to exactly what we're saying don't don't pander to people don't nobody likes that well and i think it also sort of diagnoses um again where we're at right now i mean the democratic primaries are running really hot and heavy and uh next set of debates are um within a week of the recording time of this of this particular episode and thinking about the presidency of donald trump up till this point it is very much a mascot kind of candidacies uh that we're putting forward right now where what what does this person look like as a character that you'd want to get behind, man. Yeah, that uh, that that episode of Black Mirror uh, that everybody thought sucked when it came out, uh, the, the Waldo <laughs> moment or whatever. That yeah. episode got really worse, but Best it got time. better and worse as time passed. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Dustin. And, and that's what Tommy works as is that people will get behind, and uh, the other people will buy the brake pads from again the front man kind of person and the idea is that's what you need is somebody that is going to shake the hand and is going to schmooze in a proper way and sort of get again these sort of hard hat wearing working class kind of joes somebody's gonna have a funny joke about t-bones and butchers yeah uh, yeah exactly and uh do those kind of things here i am eight whiskey sours in and i still got it tommy boy um which is a crazy line that is too many whiskey sours that is that is one is too many whiskey sours, but nonetheless, I'm not a fan. Um, I would say two is enough. Three, you're going to start getting heartburn immediately. You got to stop. <laughs> I'm saying, why ruin a perfectly good whiskey? Anyway, well, that's also a fair argument to be made. Moving on, um, that being a problem, though, um, is is that what we, that is what we sort of seek out at this point? We don't we don't seek out confederations. We don't cons- we don't we don't seek out people who are able to consolidate. Uh, you know, a, a certain kind of group of people. Uh, we're not looking at teams any longer. We are really looking exclusively at figures heads, uh, figureheads that you know oftentimes are paper tigers. They just don't work. And uh, so that may be a lot of where we're at right now. And, you know, the recipe for failure that Democrats are putting together. But I digress on that. Well, I mean, this this is kind of a thing that's endemic of uh, male leads in the 90s, though, right? I mean, it's Tommy Boy that takes us through to... Shit, I mean Scrubs, a show that's about a doctor that takes us through to Knocked Up, a movie about a pothead that's not ready to, you know, have impregnated a successful uh, woman. This is the the same, like, archetype throughout comedy, like, male leads in comedy that has gotten us through the last 20 years and has produced an ethos within uh, white dudes in our culture that, uh, you know, look, maybe I'm self-projecting a little bit here, but uh, what better time than now? Uh, just, you know, you're going to coast on a likability, and you'll be fine. Yeah. And no, that's yeah. not really enough. Like, read a book. A thick one. Yeah. Hmm. So... That's an idea. Uh, moving on, um, politicians read more books. That is our advice uh, from the Good Trash Genre Cast. It will be better for everyone. Um, so, are there any other major sort of thematic deals that we want to deal with in the old tummy bully before we conclude our show today? Uh, formally, uh, I think this is the last thing. This is a good place to end. Let's just talk about comedy as a form of storytelling. How do you guys feel about being stressed out in the comedy? Uh, Tommy Boy, not too much, but definitely traffics in a little stress comedy. You mean like awkward, like awkward uh, scenarios? Like, like, like a a Ingrid Goes West? Yeah, like an Ingrid Goes West moment, but just stuff like Tommy being completely just embarrassing situations cringy cringe inducing whatever that looks like to you everybody's gonna cringe at different things but i I call it stress comedy as like an umbrella i'm not a fan okay i do enjoy it uh i think a lot of michael scott in the office who Mm -hmm. does stuff and it's like that's exactly what i thought of and i think west you know sometimes well and that's where i like it i like it in ingrid goes west or uh, the art of self-defense which i just caught up with and love i don't know that i like it as much in a the i don't like it as much with my broad comedy i like it in my like weird character well i don't really think about it so much in 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 tommy boy because it feels just so screwball anyway i I guess that's fair there are moments where 
Tommy Callahan stresses me out so bad. Like when he's trying to pump the gas and like just the further. (laughs) Here's what it is. I'm too much of a Richard. This is what it is, guys. I can't. Tommy is the truth is out. The truth is out. I've I've been holding back on this. I'm finally passionate about this movie an hour into this episode. If somebody spills candy in my new car, I'm going to lose my shit, guys. I cannot (laughs) handle. I abhor (laughs) someone who has no respect for other people's property. That's what it is. I know. But they've got a thin candy shell. Give me a second, damn it, (laughs) Dustin. I'm on one. Uh, I know I talk a big game about, uh, you know, work ethics and uh, capitalism's bad on this podcast. But damn it, leave other people's stuff alone. If you're sitting in somebody's car, don't of shit come on i, I so guess, tommy stresses me out well, i i got so much more of like a three stooges vibe out of that that kind of screwball slapstick style of comedy rather than something more of the awkward uncomfortable uncomfortable well i guess for comedy. me because as you've mentioned this this film like fits into a real world tone like so consistently and so well that when those three stooges screwball moments come up yeah they read instead of a screwball they read as like this is a stressful person in a yeah. real world situation. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it reads for me as. And now, I, if I, I was with Tommy, yes, I probably would be losing my mind. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when he's playing cars and he lights the one on fire, that's pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's bad. That's real bad. That was that's actually I'd forgotten about. That was the I wrote that question down during that scene, but I thought about it again in later ones. But yeah, when he starts smashing the car in the meeting, I was just like. Oh my god! Well, I think about I'm the M Ms and the, uh, the uh, that one on the so infuriating. That one, yeah. Ugh. That's so funny. yeah, okay. I, I it, I'm 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 glad we're mostly on the same page with this. I, I'm with you, Arthur. I like it. I just it has to be deployed and very. If you start deploying that kind of laugh, you better have the tone of your piece yeah. figured out. I agree. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, I'm I'm with Dustin. Like at a certain point, I just like recoil from it. I don't like it. Yeah. I uh, I don't. I don't like The Office. Is it? Is I don't it, either. Is it okay? I used to like it. I think people who like The Office ruined it for me. There are bits in The Office that are funny. No offense to my my beloved sister and brother in law who both like The Office a lot. I love The Office. I, I get and I get it. Yeah, I totally get it. But man, it's just like I've tried to rewatch it recently, and it just stresses me out now. Especially that I mean, I think of the first thing, which was definitely so Ricky Gervais influenced. That's Ricky's thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to oh, do yeah. that, make you uncomfortable and mad type of humor. It's just obnoxious humor. And in that first season, in the American version, anyway, it's like... You know what it is? Because that shit plays in the UK. You know why? Nobody brings a handgun to work in the United Kingdom. Right. Well, that, and I mean, the... That's that's it. That's Arthur, I love the laugh you've got going for me right now. The quintessential British experience is to be uncomfortable. Yeah. They're just used to it. Yeah, that's just what they do. Americans can't handle uncomfortability because we're always afraid someone's going to pull a gun. (laughs) Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Well, that, and we'll tell you, you've got to stop. Yeah, thank God. I'm. So, you know what? There's a lot wrong with our culture. Here's here's to America for telling each other, hey, can you not, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> you're stressing other people out. As opposed to the UK, where they just sort of politely pretend like nothing's happening. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there. Hmm. So He's a bit of a weird one, isn't he? Yeah, strange. Moving on. <laughs> so, um, shall we... <laughs> well... Render a verdict. Let's please. Shall yeah. Let us please. Or let's... trash. Tommy boy, go. Um, I'm good. Trash. I'll put it on the shelf, I, I, purely for Farley's legacy. I think that you you know the, there's there's YouTube even pre YouTube you had those like compilations of Farley's best things, of yeah. moments. Yeah, I think his body of work is Saturday Night Live uh, because I think he exists better as a sketch performer than as a film performer. I think if he had a longer film career, um, I, I think I would agree with you, Arthur. But yeah, yeah. I just I don't need it. Nope, me neither. Well, there, there you go, go, dear listener. That um, was a quick one. Thanks, Brigham. No, no deliberation there. I've huh? got your back, Brigham. Hey, but I'm glad, uh, look, it's it's been a while since we were all not wishy-washy, knew immediately. I definitely feel this way about yeah. this one, so. All right, well, there you go. Um, we are done. We've done Patreon content. I am no longer obligated um, any longer, so. I think we got you, though, by the hook. Well, you don't have to come back. Arthur and I are going to do another one next week. Yep. Uh, maybe you'll want to come back. Yeah, it's a sci-fi piece. Oh, gosh, more genre stuff. Okay. It's got Robert Pattinson. Oh, 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 oh the Twilight guy. Oh, yeah, totally got me now. Mm-hmm. I, I hear it's been making rounds in festivals, like yeah, it's all uh, over the everything, world. Everything plays at a festival. It's got uh, it's got some some Frenchie, some 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 Clar uh, Dennis. Yeah, it's a guy, right? Clar Clar Dennis. Clar Dennis. Oh, Claire Denis. That's how it's pronounced. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, I'll be back. Yeah, and we're we doing go. a bit. We know who Claire Denis is. I'm so in. Yeah, I knew you were going to be excited for this. We're doing High Life. 
Uh, are you wondering, hey, now wait a second, this is a movie from 2019, and it's uh, a big sci-fi art movie. This doesn't seem like genre cast material. Well, we'll talk about why it belongs on the show next week. I'm excited. Yep, you keep watching, we'll keep talking, we'll see you all next time. Wait, there's more. Uh, sorry. Is there? Not really. Uh, good trash. I keep forgetting to do this part. Uh, good trash genre cast at gmail.com. If you want to send us a letter, uh, if you want to get involved with us on social media, God, why would you? It's at good underscore trash on Twitter. Uh, Arthur already told you how to give us money. It's good. Uh, patreon.com forward slash GTM. Rate, review, subscribe. Bye. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.